0: As you wander around the streets of our magnificent capital city today, you'll probably most likely be aware of all the shops and offices, albeit deserted, if we're still in lockdown by the time you're listening to this. What you will not see so much of are the relics of London's glorious industrial past, unless, of course, that is you know where and what to look for. From brewing giants such as Guinness, toy manufacturers like Airfix and Lesney, who made the well famous matchbox cars, to the aircraft makers like de Havilland and Handley Page, These and many more instantly recognizable brands had major and often iconic bases right here in London. Urban archeologist Mark Ames, author of London's industrial past, understands the importance of our magnificent machine age when London was once the powerhouse of the world. Join us as we wander the streets of London in search of what once was London's very essence. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favorite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favorite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue, and the podcast episode itself, so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free, and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the page and click on the red button where it says Guests, Favourite Places in London, click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening, best wishes, and keep safe. Steve So I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today uh, Mark Amies. We've decided that is the correct pronunciation, not Amies, spelled A-M-I-E-S, of Dutch origin, no less, which is... uh, Uh,
1: Yes, I believe so.
0: Partially Dutch origin on your father's side, I think Mm. you would say.
1: Yes, yes, I believe so, uh, it's uh, it's a long time back.
0: Yeah, well, it all fits in nicely with with London's history, doesn't it? Because we are all a a big conglomeration of... uh, People from all around the world, all different cultures and places. So why, why, why not a bit of Dutch in there as well? So w- welcome to your London legacy, Mark. It's a pleasure to finally have you uh, on the show. We would have had you on last week, but but for the fact, I think I've got a bit of long tail COVID going on here. Yes, <laughs> I'm not, well, not, not entirely sure, but um, there you go. Anyway, how, how are you coping with COVID? as a, as a man who likes to get around and study London and, and yeah. see it, are you able to get out and about?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I think you know that there is. Uh, quite a lot of if I need to do any sort of like going to visit places, then it's not really too much a problem. The thing that is a bit of a an issue, and I, i'm I'm just about to start doing another book, is being able to visit museums and local authority archives that that is a bit of a problem, um as I found out because Barnett's archive, which is over in Hendon, which I think you you probably know that part of the world if you, you mentioned. Is that's basically locked down. So the ability to go and visit and go and have a look through photographs, which is you know a key component of the stuff that I do, uh, is a bit of an issue. But I mean, apart from that, no, I mean you can do so much stuff online. You know, it's not too much of a problem.
0: Well, you need to speak to my previous guest, Jeff Pick, don't you? I think, Director of the London Metropolitan Archives.
1: Quite likely, possibly, yes. I mean, it's uh, the the subject of my my next book is going to be far more defined. It's it's not going to be as general as the last one. I'm picked a, a specific industry and a specific area. And so yes, I mean you, you have to look at all possible avenues when you're you're tracing down either, you know, historical detail or, or imagery. So yes, so there's a possibility I could.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So Mark is the author of a recently published book, London's Industrial Past, which is which is fascinating in many respects because it's it talks about parts of London which I suppose the modern-day Londoner walking through the streets of London pays little or no attention to or has little understanding of the fact that London was a big industrial city once upon a time and we're talking the fairly recent past we're not we're not sort of going back to when the city of London was a huge port with galleons and ships you know up and down no. the Thames we're talking about in the recent sort of last hundred a couple hundred years 150 years when it had some of the most famous brand names and, you know, company names that you could possibly imagine. And it's it's a fascinating book. And as I say, people walk around London and the suburbs of London and they probably aren't even aware of its glorious and sometimes inglorious <laughs> industrial yes. past.
1: Well, there is two sides to it, of course, you know.
0: There's not not a huge amount left to look at today unless you know what you're looking for, which is, of course, where you come in.
1: Mm, yes, well, I mean, there are obviously, I mean, the one that people will immediately run to, and it is a very good example, is the Hoover factory, or what is now called the Hoover building over in Perivale in West London. You know, that is, of course, well, it's not pristine, but it's not far off it. It is an example of something that has now been preserved in, in aspect, so to speak, whereas a great many of the industrial buildings that scattered across London, you know, when they were working, were pretty grimy and dirty, and especially towards the end of their life. And so finding examples of of factories which haven't been, for want of a better word, tarted up can be quite difficult, but they do exist. You know, it's just that unfortunately, you know, either they've been treated badly, you know, clad over, or just rather, you know, they've been tarted up in such a way that they, you know, they don't look like they used to.
0: Where did your interest in... I mean, London is fascinating, obviously, but the industrial past and the factories and the company heritage—where did your interest in that start?
1: It's—it is a strange one. I mean, i I've, i I've had an interest in it from probably when I was a child or a teenager, and I, you know, I'm—I'm I'm 51, so I was born in 1969, and, and I think if you were to say the late 60s, the late 60s is a time where you were seeing quite a noticeable. Decline downturn in London's manufacturing. So, as as a child and as a you know growing up, a lot of these factories were still there, or were perhaps coming to the end of their time. And I used to sit in the back of my father's car, like a, a lot of us did. Uh, driving around and he would often point out to me oh that was you know such and such a factory or I think that was that and you know perhaps try and find out of course this is pre-internet so you couldn't sort of like I saw a factory in Collindale what is it uh, you'd have to perhaps do a little bit, go to a library. Um, a little bit of work, you, perhaps. Re- yeah. Yes, but it was, uh, you know, it's an example of, of just really just seeing these these buildings and, and asking my father or or asking other people, what was that? Because they were, some of these places were pretty imposing, sitting usually on the sides of roads, uh, places, you know, on the, the A40 Western Avenue, on the Great West Road, which of course is one of the best examples. There are still some there, uh, you can see them. I don't know why I've got a fascination with him. Perhaps it's because it was something that was going, you know, it was a it was the past and I've always had an interest in, in history. So um it's it's that it, Robert Elms has said it in the in his introduction in the book, that's forward rather, it you know, it's this sort of archaeology aspect. It's wanting to dig down and, and and find out what these things were. Because they are fascinating. The most important thing to say here, Steve, is it's not so much the buildings, because buildings are just bricks and mortar, but it's what those buildings meant to uh, communities, to the people who worked there, for the people who lived around these places. You know, they were enormously important, not just the things that they made that were being consumed in this country or, or export markets, but it was also the fact that these places employed thousands of people. You know, people depended on those places for their you know, to bring put food on the table
0: and not just individuals I, I suspect but families as well in generations of families were exactly were employed yeah. from father to son and yep. mother to daughter right right throughout the ages yep. yeah
1: these 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 factories have such a significance it's where people met people will meet one another as employees go out or they went to social functions because a lot of these places had you know um sort of set aside as uh, social halls and sports clubs and stuff So they became very much a part of people's lives. And, you know, people would meet that have children. Those children would work in a factory and that would carry on. You know, there was a degree of loyalty. I mean, it's quite easy to start talking about it in a poetic way. I never worked in a factory, you know, so it would be wrong of me to put this sort of a slant on it where I'm sort of being all sort of, oh, it it was so wonderful from a sociological point of view. It has an impact. There are a lot of people who worked in those factories who would say, oh, my God, mate. You don't know the half of it. It was awful, but it was a job, for sure. I mean, if you are someone working in the Firestone factory, with the rubber tyre factory, on the Great West Road, which of course you know was an example one that got pulled down, that looked like a pretty grim job. It, you know, the, the the noxious chemicals that people were in, inhaling pre health and safety. So, you know, there's a lots of different ways you can look at it.
0: And some of these factories, I guess, we don't. I never really appreciated the sheer size and scale of them and some of them were just like enormous some of them were like small towns
1: exactly i mean if you look at ford at dagenham that's a good example i mean that that's like a little that is i mean you can't really call it a village it was almost like a town i remember you know going on a i don't know i can't actually i sometimes think did i do this or not but i used to live in northeast london for a while and i got a bus that actually went through the ford dagenham site And it it, it was, it is a huge site. It's not as big as it used to be. Um, You know, there's another good example, Kodak over in Harrow, which is not too far away from where I live. That's now gone, but that was a massive site. I mean, they've just expanded and grew and grew from a, not necessarily a small site, but just, you know, they just got bigger and bigger as they became more successful. And a lot of these places were built on greenfield sites, which are plonked out somewhere in the countryside where they could expand. Um, so yes, they are, you know, one particularly good way of being able to see how big these places are is to have a look at something called Britain from above. Now That is a a wonderful resource. It's, it's aerial photography done from the 1920s through to the 1950s. And it's looked after by historic England. And you can look down and see the size of these factories. And they were huge, some of them.
0: Is that a free resource out of interest? It is
1: yes well of course historic England is, is state funded it's a project basically where the legacy of those those images are from a company called Aerofilms that started off in, um, in Hendon just down the road from the aerodrome there and they started taking photographs of areas and, 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 and factories in particular. Because it was a good way of making money. You could say to someone who owned a factory, I've got a, a picture of your factory. Oh, great. This is when people like to show off about, you know, their, their factories and have a big picture on the wall in the boardroom. And so these pictures were taken on uh, large format cameras or medium format cameras and large format. So the amount of detail when you can zoom in, because they've been digitized is incredible. You can see, you know, little people in the streets and and you can see advertising on the sides of lorries and all sorts of things. It's a really, really good resource. I I can't speak more highly of that. And it has been very useful for my research, in particular when I was doing the book, and there are a couple of Britain from Above pictures in there.
0: No, That's really useful to know. So tell us about, because obviously this isn't your main job. Uh, This is the first book you've written, London's Industrial Past. How how did it come about and how did you get involved with the uh the wonderful robert elms of bbc london radio because you had a, you had a slot on his show you were saying for you know quite some month. yes i
1: did and t- until covid came along and and sort yeah. of nipped that in the bud i mean destroyed uh, that one uh, yeah well that's it i mean hopefully i might get the chance to go back so um and you know i, I don't think i i left <laughs> with with the door closed firmly behind i think it was uh hopefully there would be a chance to go back but i mean my uh, sort of history with that is that I, I was doing I was doing a job. It was a job where I was digitizing books, and it was a pretty hard job I was doing. And the hours of strange to come home at about three four o'clock. And I, it, like a lot of people doing certain jobs, you think is is this all there is to it? I mean, there's it, got to be more than this. And I was getting on a little bit. You know, I'm I say I'm fifty now, and I was in my mid forties, and I thought, oh, I've, I should do a blog. Everybody doing blogs. I'll, I'll just start doing... And there was a WordPress page, and I just started bashing some stuff together. Nothing over the top. And then I, I thought, well, I, I want to start doing a thing about you know factories that were in London. And I approached uh, Londonist. I'm sure you've heard of Londonist. Londonist.com, yes. okay. Um, and the the editor at the time there very kindly allowed me to do a couple of pieces there. One was about food companies in London, and the other one was about cars. And they still exist. You can go into Londonist and do a search under my name and you'll find them. And it is from those, I think, that a researcher on the Robert Elms program had found me. So it was as well that I had started doing this writing uh, because fortunately for me in some ways, they thought I was some kind of expert. I've always thought of myself as an enthusiast and they were doing a, a, a slot on one of the programs in 2017 about London's industrial history. And I you know, I had contact from the research saying would you like to come on the program you know and speak to Robin?" i'm like how long do i need to think about this <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> yes
1: please and at the time i had a casual conversation with the editor there at the time and, and they said um would you be interested in doing something like this on a regular basis and i said yeah it would be great and she said because we, we did sort of do something like this in the past i said well okay I didn't hear anything it's often the way with anything to do with the media and publishing and I'm sure you're aware of this that you know things move quite quickly and you've got to make sure that you keep reminding people so I hammered away with that one a few times and eventually they had some slots free and they were little half hour slots for six weeks and they said yeah sure if you want to do it let's do it so I was doing these slots uh, on the Robert Elms program on BBC Radio London um, I would finish my I was work at that time where I am now at the Warburg Institute at Bloomsbury. I would uh, break for my lunch and walk up to the BBC at Broadcasting House and I would do these slots with Robert. And, uh, you know, I must have to say really that I am enormously grateful to Robert and the, the production team on that program for giving me that opportunity because it was from that that I could then approach a publisher and I don't have an agent even. And, you know, I'm a first-time writer, and I was obviously able to convince them that this might be a good idea. So that that's how it sort of happened. But it is, it is down to a certain amount of good luck, but some of it is just down to just hammering away with it. And uh, it yeah, shows you anybody not- can do it, you see, Steve. Anyone, if they are sufficiently interested in a subject and they go about it the right way, and I not necessarily have gone about it the right way,
0: but you can do it. It's your enthusiasm that will carry it through i'm a firm believer that you make pretty much most of your own luck in this world and uh you started as they say put it out there physically as well as spiritually no doubt and uh then you you were picked up through your enthusiasm and, and graft i guess mm. so from robert elms uh and the work you've done there you've come up with this concept of putting this book together london's industrial past published by Amberley books our, f- our friends at Amberley books Thank you very much. And,
1: for... and I'm, again, enormously grateful to them for giving me the opportunity, um, not only just with yeah. this one, but with the one I'm going to be working on next. So, uh,
0: yes, thanks, Amberley. We'll, well, we'll come on to that and we'll give them another shout out at the end. So this book, London's Industrial Past, you've broken it down into various sections or, or categories rather of industries. And it's just fascinating to see, the, as we said at the beginning, the classic names in each of these categories from, we've got brewing, these are the chapter headings if you like, brewing, toys, aircraft, cars, chocolates and sweets, biscuits, food and drink, around the house, which is I think where Hoover Factory comes in, yeah, and then some general commentary as well by yourself on um, on, on the book and how you put it together. Let's just pick out some of the, I mean, I've selected some, but uh, feel free to uh, choose your own ones. Just pick out one or two from each of those categories and just have a a little thought.
1: Luckily, I have got a copy of the book
0: with me right now. (laughs) Well,
1: I'd be disappointed if you didn't. I did actually write this quite a while ago. And so it's the sort of thing, I know it sounds a bit blasé, but you write it. It gets published, you get quite, and then you put it on the shelf, and then you sort of move on.
0: And was it, I think the publication was delayed as well, was it? It was,
1: yes, thanks to our friend COVID that's affected you and and me in a different ways. But this was supposed to be out in the middle of April this year. It then got delayed until the middle of July.
0: Yeah. So let's have a chat briefly about the aircraft industry. Oh, that's a good one. I'm glad you picked that one. <laughs> Not least because my parents grew up, uh, were, were married, and I was a twinkle in their eye when the first house was in Collindale, uh, and then I um, worked in Collindale in the Hyde for probably ten years in Hyde Hyde House. Oh, wow. um, okay. Oh, that's that big tower block, yeah. It's the big tower block that yes. was an office block when I was there. And then more Latin, I think it's now a hotel. It office is Premier Street. Inn, yeah. Mm. Premier Inn or some, some <laughs> such. <laughs> yeah, what else? <laughs> Just the perfect place you'd want to stay, isn't oh, it? Oh,
1: yes. I'm sure. Lovely views. So yeah.
0: <laughs> it didn't dawn on me, despite the fact I've lived in and around that area nearly all my life. And you've got places like Aerodrome Road and all, you know, the RAF Museum. I've never really stopped to take in the significance of all these aeronautical sort of names. So just take us through on a whistle-stop tour of why there is this aircraft industry that used to used to be based there.
1: Good. Well, it's a good one. I, it's it's something that uh, I do have a, a very strong interest in. It is not, it's not that far away from me either because I live uh, near Stanmore. So the, the reason why you have the aircraft industry, or you did have the aircraft industry in Collindale, and going down the Edgware Road all the way down to Cricklewood, okay, it, it spread itself down there, is because of the aerodrome that existed uh, at Hendon, which latterly became RAF Hendon. Um, it is if you go to the RAF Museum at Connaughtdale, the original buildings that were put up in the early 1970s inside that structure is two large aircraft hangars that were built in 1918. So they sit in situ. On the edge of what was the aerodrome, and that aerodrome was basically, I mean, they stopped flying there in the late 50s, but it is now the Graham Park estate and various other developments like Beaufort Park that have gone up. But it's that was founded in around about 1910, and it is considered as as the birthplace of, of aviation in this country, together with Brooklands. So you have that aerodrome where there's a lot of the pioneers of aviation in the sort of um, that post-Edwardian period, just before the First World War. But it is the war that then starts things going, because for whatever reason, people decide that that is where we're going to prove new aircraft. And so aircraft constructors who have had a previous history with the site, including someone called Claude Graham-White, and so there's a very significant person, that person, called Graham-White, because if you want to see how that name carries through, the reason why Graham-Park... The state is called that is because of Claude Graham White. Okay, Um, so you have aircraft constructors wanting to be near that aerodrome so they can have their aircraft taken there to be accepted by the um, Royal Navy Air Service and the Royal Flying Corps uh, and flown out. So you have a number of different companies. Claude Graham White himself, who was one of the who set up the London Aerodrome as it was originally called, he has an aircraft factory. Then you have a setup called Airco, which is the shortened for the aircraft manufacturing company. And they were the big players in the area. Um, and then further down the road into Cricklewood, of course, you have Handley Page, which is quite a significant name. So in terms of the biggest player there, as I said, it was Airco. If you want to know where those factories were, they were on both sides of the A5 Edgware Road. And if anybody, if you, you probably you know that area, but I mean, there's an ASDA. I do well. <laughs> yeah, that ASDA. Sits, I, I've
0: shot there many times. There you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's
1: been there since the mid '80s. But that is part of of the site. But it was an enormous. I mean, the guy who ran it, which is a guy called George Holt Thomas, had made the claim that it was the world's largest aircraft factory. I mean, in fact, actually, it was a complex of factories. So it is um, deeply significant, but if you go to Down now, well, as you just said yourself, in that, that, that preamble there, is you wouldn't if you're just a, a layman, if you're just a normal, ordinary person with no particular interest in the history or that area, you'd have no idea. I, mean, I can imagine there must be kids who think, "Well, why is there an RAF museum here? Oh, I guess it just happened to be put here." No, it's there for a very good reason, and I do feel that perhaps it, it's not. I mean, the RAF Museum do a great job, of course, of, of celebrating aviation history. But I I think that there should be something more. There should be. I know statues are out of favour now, but something to inspire people on instant to say, "Oh gosh, what's this about?" I'll go and buy Mark's book and <laughs> find out more. No, but I mean, I, I have I have quoted a number of those companies in there, um, and they're not the only ones because you know it's crazy to think people would think, well. You mean London had an aircraft industry? They were making aeroplanes? Where did they fly them from? Of course, it's been all built up now.
0: Because, of course, then it was, you know, semi-rural. It was a rural location. Absolutely,
1: yes. It was out in the Middlesex countryside, yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, an urban industrial sprawl that it is now. It's not industrial sprawl, an urban sprawl that it is now, as you say, with Morrisons and uh, Asdas and huge, complex blocks of flats now. Oh, yes. I mean... God it's no, changed in the time that re- both
1: you and I have known it, Steve. I mean, I remember... Ah, beyond recognition. Graham Park was a fairly low-scale uh, uh, complex of buildings put up by the Greater London Council and Barnet Council in from about 1969 through to about 74, And there was a lot of open space. There was this concept even then of what was called good social housing. Uh, but now, of course, they've just gone mad completely mad and put you know, apartment blocks no, I'd, uh, all over my
0: mum's mum lived on graham park estate in her in her latter years yeah so i've got uh, and also it's funny as as you talk the memories come back my mum had i think it was a 40th birthday party at the raf museum because in those days they did um they would rent out or hire out some of the rooms there Oh, and I do, right. I do remember there was a like a hologram of Winston Churchill, you know, <laughs> giving the V side and uh, yeah, which was like one special of the cool things. That, uh, Winston, Churchill. yeah, special guest Winston Churchill. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> we didn't. We didn't invite him. <laughs> mm, I
1: think I know the one you mean. It's the one where they project. They had a, a sort of mannequin, and they projected onto his face. It was this sort of illusion right. of a sort of That's animatronics, it. but pre, pre the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Correct,
0: it was before you had like Frank Sinatra resurrecting a duet with, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Dean Martin back at the Palladium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, last year. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com Forward slash your London legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So, I mean, that's a a, a potted history, obviously. Of um, oh,
1: it's very brief, that Steve. Uh, It really
0: is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it, it just gives um, a a taste of some of the things that are going on, and that was in Northwest London, obviously. But let's look at some uh, some other areas. I mean, for example, let's have a look at the toy. Um, toy manufacturers
1: something that we all experience you see there's no getting away from something that we all
0: experience now again some wonderful um iconic names if i can find the right chapter would be good we've got it's matchbox cars yep page 15 is it where it starts turn to page that's where that section starts to page 15 i've got it marked here yeah so Matt, it's Matt, everybody knows the name matchbox cars i would yep. imagine as a kid or a young boy you would have played with a matchbox car but you're probably less familiar with the the, the company name which was lesniz lesniz of of hackney
1: matchbox now i mean anybody i mean you'd have to be about 40 to have actually had a matchbox car that was made in hackney because after 1982 or thereabouts, a lot of the production was moved over to um, Southeast Asia because the company went bust. But I mean, yes, uh, Lesney—the uh, reason why the name is is Lesney—is because you had two chaps, both called Smith. They weren't related. One called Leslie, and one called Rodney. And so when they created their company, they just joined their first names together to create Lesney, and that—that's absolutely that's, that's why, why you get that you? name. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that is an, it was an enormously successful company that was uh, founded in the early 1950s that was predominantly based in northeast London. They started off in a, an old pub in Edmonton called The Rifleman, when they just set up literally with a die casting machine between the two of them with some demob money they had after the war because they'd both been serving in the armed services during the war. And then things just sort of went from strength to strength. And they ended up having a factory in Homerton, which is basically in Hackney, uh, near the Lee Conservancy, which is an enormous factory. And that thing was operating pretty much around the clock at certain times. Uh, They won export awards and they employed a great many people living in the Hackney area, you know, that was, it was, it was a great company. And of course, if you, again, you've said it, you know, everybody knows Matchbox. Certainly, you know, of a, of a certain age, definitely and I'm, I'm, I'm you know i actually do <laughs> i do collect old matchbox cars so I, I you know i do have again quite a close sort of uh, interest in it so it shows you that these things aren't just merely t- they, you know they are toys but they have a significance and you know if you were to speak to people in the hackney area you'll probably find you could find quite a few people at work there and there were predominantly women that worked on the production lines reason why uh, there must be plenty but I mean one of them is that they were quite nimble with their fingers whereas us chaps tend to be a bit sort of I don't know sausage fingers fat (laughs)
0: thumbs sausage fingers (laughs) yeah absolutely and you mentioned uh, earlier on in the beginning of our chat we're talking about now your section around the house and obviously um, uh, household appliances you've got the iconic Hoover building which is I suppose is now a landmark oh yeah it's architecture absolutely and even to the extent that um the the wonderful musician elvis costello i believe wrote a a song about it because he used to early on his way into yeah early on back in the 70s so what's the situation um, with it with the hoover building nowadays
1: well it's it's still there i mean it's it's a it's uh it's grade two listed okay Uh, i mean i'd like to think it was grade one but i mean it's it is you know you can't really do much with it i mean they have obviously tarted it up it's now. the uh, front section, which is the bit that you see, the, the long building on the A40 Western Avenue is now apartments. Prior to that, it was used as office space for Gallagher, a cigarette company. Um, and at the back of the building is, of course, a, is a Tesco. So they chopped a lot of the less desirable industrial buildings back uh, in the early 1990s and put a supermarket on the back a bit, which you can't see, obviously, when you're on the road. Um, But it's it's a it is a lovely building. It is extremely evocative of a past age. Uh, It is you know considered as one of the best examples of Art Deco industrial buildings in in the country, basically because there's not many left.
0: And of course, you hear it all the time on the traffic news.
1: Yes, yes. By the, I mean it's called the Hoover Building now. It was of course called if you look at the name on the front, it says Hoover Building. But I remember that when it said Hoover Limited. And in between the words Hoover Limited was the Royal Crest. And it just, I, don't know, I always thought that was like the cherry on the cake, just having that bit on there. Uh, but of course, as soon as, you, as soon as an industrial building that's got a, a Royal Warrant, when it stops making things and it leaves, you've got to take the Royal Warrants off. So that went, and I think it went to Wales because they had still kept a plant there. But yes, it's um, a, a, a wonderful building. And the design the design practice behind it was Wallace Gilbert and Partners, who did an awful lot of that sort of industrial architecture in that time period. Um, you know, So there are examples still on the Great West Road of, the, of their building. So, um, yeah, I do love that building. I mean, it, it, I've had a very great affinity with that building since I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12, because you used to drive down the A40 going to central London my parents and you know if you went past it at night which of course if you do it's all lit up yeah it is beautiful yeah
0: so of your um, selection under the uh, the the biscuit section there mm. are, again there's some many iconic names here which i'm guessing many people don't appreciate are connected with london you've got McVittys, you've got uh, mcfarlans you've got kemp's peak freens <laughs> who doesn't mm. love a peak freen? <laughs> what what's your favorite and and, and, and what I mean I, I love the fact there's a peak free museum that you can still go and have a look at
1: oh yes yes by appointment you're going to, but the, the chaps running are, are very decent guys and they they help me uh, greatly with some um, you know access to the place to take pictures but in terms of i suppose I mean you know the one that's still going of course is McVitie's um, over in Harlesden. but the one that I you know if I was to pick the one you know, out of the selection I have picked, the one that interests me most is it's probably Kemp's in Cricklewood. Uh, and the reason why is because no one knows Kemp's anymore. No one's heard of Kemp's, but the, it was an enormous factory uh, that sat on the um, North Circular, just near Staples Corner, just just up from Staples Corner. Uh, there's the only thing that's left on that site now is a lot of metal sheds. Uh, it, I mean, you couldn't get more of a contrast. But if you look at the picture in the book, uh, which it was very difficult tracking down pictures uh, of it, but it, it's uh, you know it's a
0: classic industrial building, and it was vast. very substantial building, yeah, with, with a huge uh, huge sign on the side. Oh yeah. Do you, Do you know what type of biscuits they they produced? Um,
1: you know? I oh, well, I mean the, the usual run of stuff. I mean they were from what I found out is Kemp's their sort of speciality was doing a lot of the sort of. Um, celebratory tins that the sort of stuff that you would give to your auntie or your grandmother you know with the highly decorated and, and some of those examples So, if you dig
0: around in your auntie's uh quite cupboard, possibly you might still yeah. <laughs> well i
1: do steve because I, well, I i'm a great one for going around charity shops and you know sort of uh, junk shops and stuff like that and i always try and keep an eye out for a kemp's tin and they are quite difficult to find because basically kemp's they effectively stopped on that location sometime in the uh, early 1960s. But as a company, they sort of basically stopped in about 1970. So, you know, as time goes on, trying to easily access things like a biscuit tin, they're not that easy, but yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I like that one because no one knows it, you know, and I just think, oh, what a shame. Uh, But I suppose the one that really is uh, the one that's most impressive is Pete Freen's over at Bermondsey. I mean, and a lot of that factory complex is still there, fortunately. Uh, I think it's hanging in the balance, like a lot of places are these days, due to the desire to build apartment blocks. But, I mean, that was such a significant site that it was given the name Biscuit Town because it was, it was an enormous, sprawling complex that had things like its own dentist and healthcare and even had its own post office. I mean, if you were working at Peak Friends, it was like you were pretty much married to that company for life. Uh, and one of the best, uh, most famous examples that people will refer to is that uh, Danny Baker, the broadcaster, his mother used to work there apparently, which uh, Robert Elms kept on reminding me about. But
0: um, yeah, again, just a lovely history to it. It's a huge site, and there's some couple of wonderful old photographs, old, worldie photographs in the in the book on page sixty one. Plus, a uh, really good aerial shot you've got of uh, of the uh, site there.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's down. That was down really very much to the, the chaps at that, that museum, which, and I do, if you're interested, I definitely go and look at, they're, they're on the internet, go and look it up. You make contact with them and you can book an appointment. Obviously now with COVID, it makes that a bit difficult, but um, go and, go and check them out. It's, it's not a big, big deal, but it, they've, they've, <laughs> I think they've got in there a Royal wedding cake that was done by the company. Uh, they've managed to, to, to keep that somewhere. So it's, it's lovely, and I, I'm a great fan of places that are run by volunteers and enthusiasts because it's, it's from the heart.
0: Well, we could, we could spend all day going through picking out all, you know, loads of examples, but I'm guessing that's where your next book is taking you. It, it, you're more of a deep dive into some specifics, yeah. is it?
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I would love to be able to say, oh, well, I'm doing it on that, but it's, it's too early. I mean, basically, I've just had the contract sorted, and I've got a year to get this thing knocked up. Um, so, I mean, it, all I'll tell you is that it is industry that is specifically in Northwest London and I won't say anything more than that. You'll just have to wait, but, um, yeah, it gives me an opportunity to, to focus on one thing. I mean, the thing about this book that I have done, Steve, is that, uh, and I must say this, and it's an opportunity to say this is that it hasn't got everything in it. And I did make a, to some trouble to say that. In in the uh, introduction to the book, to do a book that had every um, factory that was in London is an impossible task. Of course, um, yeah, you, know, you just couldn't do it. And I had to be quite selective. I picked things that were subjects that I'd done on the Robert Elms program, but I thought also that people would have an affinity with. You know, if you were to say, "Oh, I'm going to do uh, a section about you know nuts and bolts," well, you're not going to get everybody's interest. But if you're going to do toys, Everybody had toys. Biscuits, people are very fond of biscuits. So they're emotive subjects. So I, I picked out certain subject areas that London was very good at doing and London had a number of examples. I mean the aircraft industry, yeah, that you know, that's surprising that they had so many factories and the car industry as well. It's you know, when I'm, i I found out about car factories that I didn't even know existed. And I thought, you know, you tend to think you know your subject and then you find out you don't. And you just don't know everything. It's impossible. I keep finding stuff out. So yes, yeah, so I will be. Um, I will be sort of concentrating. So, I mean, just to give it a bit of depth, because the book that I've done is more of a visual book. You know, you've got a picture and a picture and a bit of text in between the two. You you can't do an awful lot with that. But I specifically wanted to do a visual book because I'd done the Robert Elms program, which is on the radio, and I was talking about stuff, but you couldn't see anything. You know, that's quite frustrating to say, oh, well, you know, they had a wonderful big factory. You're on the radio, you can't really see it unless people search that themselves. So it was an opportunity to do the visual side of it, having done the, the talking side of it.
0: Well, it's very nicely done, I have to say. Um, I, I mean, what was your process for doing it, for writing the book? How did you go about it, collating well, the information and then actually sitting down and writing it? I sourced the
1: pictures first and then I did the text. Which I'm not going to do that again <laughs> because what it, what it was is that obviously quite a lot of time searching out pictures and then, uh, perhaps not giving as much time as I could have done to some of the text, but I, I don't find writing too much of a problem, especially when I'm putting in fairly small chunks of, of text that had to accompany pictures. You know, the, the thing that was consuming most of the amount of time and effort was searching the pictures. And, you know, again, I've said this in the book is, uh, you start to realize. Why so many books don't have as many pictures in as you'd like? Because one, it's difficult to find them, and two, it's expensive. You know, you, you end up having to pay people quite a bit of money when it's all put together uh, for picture usage. I was very fortunate that quite a number of the um, existing manufacturers very generously allowed me to use pictures without payment. Um, so you know, I have to say say thanks to people like Glaxo Smith Klein, Ford. Some of these companies, of course, don't exist, and so then you have to sort of track them down. So yes, it's uh, doing doing the text was reasonably straightforward. I, I have put some more deeper text in the back, but I, to do a book which is a bit more focused will be more of a challenge, uh, and it'll give me an opportunity to at least show that I'm not a sort of shallow. Because I, I just, uh, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, there were a couple of reviews I saw. I know you shouldn't take reviews too much to heart. But, of course, if it's the first time you've done a book, you, you sort of do. You can't help it. Uh, and I just got the impression that somehow that some people felt there wasn't enough depth to it. It's difficult to do. You you have a, a well, certain You can't record.
0: have a deep dive into I mean, first of all, you've got the history is massive. The breadth of the topic is massive it's just impossible you'd be here all you know for the rest of your lifetime so then to take that sort of high level book if you like which is a great sort of um, addition to anyone's library I suppose if they want to have have an overview of the history of uh, London's industrial past but then to take aspects of that and have a deeper dive into that it makes perfect sense to me otherwise you just as a first-time author
1: thanks I mean I was going to do a book too I was going to do a book too but um for various reasons they they didn't necessarily want to go for it. And I'm glad they didn't actually. I mean there, there may be an opportunity to revisit another time, but I mean when you're a first time writer with the best will in the world, publishers they don't just hand you stuff. You have to sort of prove your metal. So the book the next book will be a bit different, but it's it's good it would give me some some uh, things to get my teeth into
0: as I say it's a lo- it's a, it's a lovely book to have. it's a good gift as well with with Christmas coming up let's give it a, oh yes a, a please. for Christmas I, I, as well. I, I, the <laughs> one thing I
1: do think is that it, you know for for people who older people and it's sad when you have to say older people but because of the subject matter, you know there are people I think would be interested and in say, oh yes, I do remember that factory but it's also important for people who are younger to be able to understand the history of London. so it is for all. But I think obviously nostalgia is something that is that's something I very much for the for the older person because you know as you get older you do get undeniably do get a bit more nostalgic. <laughs> uh, bit but gooey. yes, it would make a great Absolutely. Christmas
0: present. Do get it for Christmas. Absolutely. You can find it on Amazon and um, or Amberly or. Well, I'd, I will say and-
1: this: if you don't mind this, I will I'll mention this that if you go to Amberly's website. Uh, I don't know how long they're doing it for, but you will get a discount because you're going straight to the publisher. That is nothing against major booksellers, but, you know, I would say that to your listeners, okay, that that's a bonus for them because you will get it at a slightly reduced price. So go to the ambulance.
0: And in... Present lockdown times, you're not going to get out to a bookshop anyway, so you might as well order it online. No,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it is, it is available on book-selling platforms. I was quite surprised it's available uh, from Barnes and Noble in America, which you know,
0: yeah, well, they love, hopes
1: it. that some of our American friends will buy it.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot going on in America. I think <laughs> they've got their eyes on other things. Even exactly. as we speak, yes. <laughs> they're, count, uh, they're counting votes right now. Yes. So, um. Great book. We know what you're doing in the future. At this time in our conversation, I ask all my guests to mention one or two places in London that are particularly personal to them. It may not, it may not be an industrial unit. Um, it may be something a bit more, a bit more, I don't know, a bit more personal. So, have you got a couple for us, Mark? Well,
1: I have. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I was going to say the Hoover factory is one of them. I don't go there every day. I mean, you know, I I, I go there less than I used to because I don't live in that particular part of the world. But I mean, yeah, I would say that that is a notable example of a a, a sort of industrial sort of location I go to. But I mean, I have interest in lots of different areas. I'm a great fan of modernist architecture. And one of my favourite places in London is Barbican, the Barbican development, which some people would say, you must be joking, mate. What, you want yeah, it is an amazing place of tranquility. It is, you know, you, you go there and it's surprisingly quiet, yet you are right in the city of London. Uh, and I'm a great fan of brutalist architecture, and that is, if you want brutalist architecture, you've got it there in bucket loads. Plus the fact that it is a, a cultural hub. You've got theatre, you've got a cinema, and you've got various sort of uh, art schools there as well. It's an amazing place, and I don't think it's really appreciated as much as it should be by a lot of Londoners. Plus, it's—I should imagine—a lovely place to live if you can afford. Yeah, to do my so. dad.
0: My dad until recently had a friend who lived there. Um, I think since passed away. But uh, yeah, it's uh, two two really good places. I recommend both for uh, people to go and pay a visit, or just drive past. The hoover. can I mention if you're another one stuck in traffic? You, you can mention another two if you wish. Well.
1: We- <laughs> <laughs> okay, the other one I was going to mention is, and it's it's quite uh, it's quite you, you'll know it as well. Is, is Mill Hill. Now, I don't mean Mill Hill Broadway, where the shops are. I mean Mill Hill proper, the village. Um, so, if you go to Mill Hill in Northwest London um, and you ascend the hill, okay, it is a, an amazing. Place And I don't have to tell you that, because you, you know that, Steve. And it's, I've lived uh, there for 27
0: years. You, yeah. You're talking that the Highwood Hill going up to the rising sun, that sort of… Exactly,
1: uh, yeah. It's a lovely yeah. place and a great history. And interesting enough, just other things, you know, I, I, I like my popular culture, is that the number of people, famous people who, who lived in Mill Hill, including Patrick McGowan, who of, the, of, of the Prisoner of Fame, and Patrick Troughton, who was a previous Doctor Who, uh, amongst many, Danny Bear, uh, if people remember Danny Bear. So, yes, it's it's a lovely place and it's on, it's on our doorstep. And it is one of those sort of lovely places that London's got, which, again, not, not everybody really, I think, you know, either knows it's there or appreciates it. So, yeah.
0: Well, we spent many, many hours in the first lockdown wandering around all the wonderful green spaces, Arendine, all around there. Oh, yes, yeah, loads of to them. Keep
1: I mean, I, I've, I don't think I know Mill Hill as well as I could do um you know i sort of recently again to do with lockdown has rediscovered it again Uh, i think that's the thing about london is there's so much london has to offer that you often say well it's not going to go away i'll go and have a look at it and if you're not careful there are bits of london that you if you're not careful you'll never go and see you know so i mean my wife is the great one for exploring i don't explore as much as should do but yeah get out and go and get on a well not now with the things lockdown but get on a tube just travel out to the various different parts of the the tube network and get off at Cockfosters and have a wander around, you know, so if nothing else to satisfy the fact you've been to Cockfosters.
0: (laughs) I've been there. Trent Trent Park, wife from the area. So yeah, know it well as well. Well, it's been a a treat to have you on. Uh, I thoroughly recommend everybody rush out and buy your book, uh, London's Industrial Park uh, by Mark Amies. Uh, with a forward by none other than Robert Elms of BBC uh, London Radio or Radio London, whichever way you want to put it, it's 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 a fascinating insight into our glorious and uh, sometimes shocking industrial past.
1: Yes, as I said, Steve, it's not it's not you know it's not all pristine white buildings like the Hoover Factory. There were places that were fairly grim places to work, but it, it's it's our history. It's intertwined with the history of London, uh, and uh, we shouldn't forget it really should no
0: absolutely well thank you very much uh keep safe during the uh the remaining month we've got of lockdown keep well are you still at work you're still managing to get in or are you now working from home
1: uh well i'm yes i'm in a job i'm in a job where i have to be at work because uh, i operate a piece of equipment a, a, a digital scanner to scan books and i have to i have to be at work i can't i can't really uh, do it from home because i need to access a library where i get the the, the uh the the material out so yeah i'm um, i have been doing three days a week and i'm going to be doing five days a week so uh yeah
0: keep safe thank you ever so much and uh, before we go i should say how, so how can people find you personally if they want to contact you or your social media outlets
1: i would say i mean i've got a number of different twitter accounts um i would i would suggest that if you like your history go and going to have a look at one that i've done called uh, yesteryear tweet or yesteryear tweets um, and I do actually have one that I did for the book, which is called, well, it's London's industrial past, but it's, um, I think it's called, I need to check it. <laughs> Cause I don't use it as much, but it's called <laughs> uh, Past London actually, which is quite fortunate. I should be able to actually find, finding Twitter handles is not always easy to do, but they are my two sort of historical ones. I, I do have one which is uh, just general sort of, that some people have, which is just moaning about the world. I would probably spare your audience those ones. But uh, yes, do have a look
0: at my yesteryear tweets. All right, Mark, that's great. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities, only available via via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash yourlondonlegacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash yourlondonlegacy.